You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you had a great break. Dan, we are going to continue on with more of our Why Advertising Fails and How to Make Yours Succeed. Let's talk um, about systems. So we all know that the wealthiest, most valued companies have these systems. McDonald's is one that's widely used. Why do so few businesses take the time to invest time, energy, and effort in building a system that can make their life easier and their business far more valuable? So most of them do have an operating system. It may not be superb, but it exists. Um, Again, because that's what they've uh, focused on in their business is the deliverable. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're in a high education business, all their education was focused on the deliverable. If they're in a low education business, they probably came from being a doer of the thing. All their focus is on the deliverable. So they have a operating system that gets lights turned on at the same time every day. Um, um, you know, it, 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 it does inventory once a week, so they reorder before they run out of stuff, etc. They have an operating system. Uh, what they don't have is a complete business system. So they tend not to have a financial system because they didn't pay any attention to that. Um, um, most of them are operating on the, if there's enough gross, there's going to be some net around here somewhere, uh, 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 management theory, um, uh, which I can tell you experientially is not true. Um, uh, and they don't have a, um, a marketing system either for the new person being brought in, acquired, satisfied, um, committed, and multiplied, um, and they don't have a, 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 a part of it that is all about retention um, and monetization. And it's mostly because, A, it hasn't occurred to them. Right? It's not how they think about their business. So if you don't think about it as a advertising and marketing business that happens to do dentistry, as an advertising and marketing business that happens to do financial planning, um, and you think about it as a financial planning business, that has to do some advertising and some marketing, you are not going to be very interested in building complete marketing systems because it's not the business you're in. And and there's also often a still a embedded idea that if the technical, clinical, if the product, the service, if the deliverable is good enough, everything else will take care of itself. All right. 
which expired right around the 1950s. It was valid, but it's long since invalid, but it is still prevalent in people's minds. So it's not there because it's just not how they think about their business. Then, if they get kind of past that, and and usually it's because of us, um, or somebody we've birthed, yep. um, and they begin to think about their business as an advertising and marketing business that has this deliverable, then they start to bump up against the, the problems of assembling systems, right? If you don't understand the fundamentals, again, right, then how do you build a system? If you can't find the right tools, how do you build a system? Um, if you can't find a trusted provider of something about which you have no expertise and you don't have time in this lifetime to get the expert, how do you build the system? So as they run up against difficulty, they sort of default back away from it to the simpler, happier idea of focusing on the deliverable and hoping the rest of it takes care of itself. Dan, one of the things that you talk about, um, you know, in your marketing process is you want to build one with a little flexibility. You want it to be rigid. You want people to have a path. One of the things that you talk about is, you know, people have a website. They let people go to the homepage and wander all over versus using a tool like ClickFunnels where you go to a page, it's got one thing, it tells one message and delivers a complete story. You want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, look, the... Bill Gove, a colleague of mine, early days of speaking, Bill used to give a speech called People Love to Buy. And it is true. People love to buy. But they're not very good at it. (laughs) Uh, And so about the only things they're good at buying uh, on their own are basic commodities and, and... and they buy those largely based on price and availability or long-established brand. So Mary buys Campbell's soup. That's the only soup she ever buys. It's the only soup she's ever going to buy. She's going to die buying Campbell's soup, and you aren't going to do a damn thing about it. Okay? She's a brand buyer. Um, Susan buys whatever soup is on sale that she has a coupon for in mostly because she has to, economically. But you get beyond commodities. People like to buy stuff, but they really don't know how to buy it. And so if you leave them loose, right, and you participate in stimulating their interest or their desire in buying something, or they come to the conclusion on their own they have a need or a desire for buying something, but you let them roam around um, without an escort, without a guide, um, 
in a physical environment. Um, that's why at retail, the layout of the space, signage, all that stuff matters because you're trying to control what's on the low shelf, what's on the high shelf. All that stuff matters in retail because you're trying to control their movements. You're not turning them loose in reality. It it, it seems that way to the casual observer, but the well-designed retail environment, they haven't been turned loose at all. They've been moved. Uh, Casino floor design. Um, I have a book (laughs) this thick about casino floor design. Nobody's loose. (laughs) You can't even get out. They're Even very no. They're very. It's very <laughs> controlled. And what you see when you're sitting down, what you hear, what you see when you're standing up, all of that is micro decided upon uh, to control the movement of the buyer in order to help them buy. So when you let them roam, whether inside your own environment or worse, in a product or service category, um, you don't have a process, you have randomness, and you're going to get random results, and that's all you're going to get, and that generally equates to kind of everybody getting the average, Um, and you will usually find somebody that gets outside results has a better system, a better approach to managing the movement of their prospect and their customer. Um, We knew, so simple choreography example. And why, see, let me back up. So the worst thing about what's done on the web, as you say, a website with 67 tabs and you can roam around and you can... The worst thing about what's done online is people convinced that it's magically and mysteriously different than what is done offline, and that the offline rules don't apply. And that's why a lot of online marketing fails. Because people are doing stuff they would never do in a million years in the offline physical environment. They know better, but they let it happen online. I mean, we three different seminar businesses that I owned over the years, we knew if you had 50 seats in the room and 25 people showed up, Uh, they're going to scatter and a bunch of them are going to sit at the back so they can sneak out uh, if they become disinterested and you don't get the the same emotional dynamic that you get when they are squeezed together and they are toward the front. So first of all, you don't put all 50 chairs in. (laughs) You put them behind a thing and you add them as people show up and I used to, like, announce that there might be $100 bills under the seats in the front row. And people would 
kind of idiotic. Like they would immediately get up and they would move from the back row to the front row, you know. So I knew not to let them sit where they wanted to sit, right? And not to care where they wanted to sit, which is very, this is a very yeah. important part of this. So I don't care that they want to roam around a website. This is of no interest to me. I really don't give up. That's patootie. Okay? I care about what gets optimum results. results. So what you do offline that you know you need to do to facilitate a sale, you've got to replicate that online, right? And so you never let people buy unassisted and unsupervised. You, so you don't deliver a big box of stuff to them without some kind of suggestion of what to pay attention to first, what to pay attention to second, what to pay attention to third, because they'll get paralyzed, they won't do anything, right? They'll be confused. And confused consumers do nothing. That's what confused consumers do, even those who want to buy. Dan, one of the other things that you talk about frequently is, well, conversion. Not the way that, you know, geez, I got a 2.3% conversion rate, not that I got a 10% opt-in rate, but conversion from a customer or client to evangelism or really a lifetime customer. And, you know, certainly you shared a lot of this through uh, a book that you and I both enjoy, which is The Purpose Driven Church. There's a lot about this in there. Certainly Russell has built a lot of that into the funnel hacking, you know, funnel hackers at, you know, click funnels. And there's another really good book on it, I believe, uh, Eric Hoffer. It's the True Believer. True Believer. So why is this so important to start to think through from the moment you get a lead to conversion into this type of conversion? So people think often that um, they've arrived at an end accomplishment when they've really only uh, got to the starting gate. Okay? So... Um, separately in a Diamond Members Masterclass, we talked about equity versus income. So advertising produces a lead. Your marketing now converts the lead to an appointment. The appointment converts to a sale. Now, a lot of people will celebrate that as the accomplishment, right? And they will say, oh, we got a new customer. Well, no, you don't, right? You got a buyer. That's what you got. (laughs) They bought once. That's all you know. That's all you've done. You got them to the point that they made a purchase. That does not necessarily predict that they'll make a second one and a third one and a fourth one or ascend in levels or stay with you forever and ignore all other competitors, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, but that's actually where you start to get to real accomplishment because equity is in the long-held um, 
recurring revenue or continually purchasing customer, except in very high transaction value businesses where you're going to pop them once and that's it. But um, uh, And even then, the referral factor yep. now becomes a significant issue because if they're that valuable, they might have a their golfing buddy is just as valuable. That's right. So... Um, um, conversion, as we mean it, um, is in the religious, ideological, cult uh, parlance. It is about commitment, um, not about a trans, an isolated transaction. So if you go back to um, the 1950s, the 1960s, and maybe even into the 1970s, you had deeply committed Ford owners. And they never looked at another brand of car, and they would argue to the death with a Chevy owner (laughs) who had the better car. Now, to be fair, there were fewer brands. This was a simpler process, but still, there were bar arguments like there are for, you know, who's the greatest quarterback of all time over car brands. The customers were committed to their car brand. Um, You had, you certainly had um, um, deeply committed in the religious sense. I mean, everybody in the neighborhood I was in as the youngest kid, everybody was Catholic, I think, but us and one agnostic at the end of the street. <laughs> and and we were Lutherans with a Catholic light. <laughs> uh, well, it is. It's Catholic light. Um, it is. Luther broke off from the Catholic Church and he threw out a few of the things that were least popular and, you know, it's Catholic life. Um, uh, you don't have to confess, for example. You just have to show up. Well, a better deal, right? Um, um, I used to kid Dave Petito with Guthrie Ranker, Dave Jewish. Dave's passed away. But I said, if I had known your deal when I got made a Lutheran, your deal's much better. You like, you know, you go for one night a year without eating and you get forgiveness, right? I like that deal better than the, you know, better than the deal we got. Why wasn't I told that story? You know, um, but no other family in the neighborhood expressed any curiosity about comparing their faith to ours. That ours might be better. No, they were committed, right? And. Uh, that's what you want. You want a diehard who is profoundly committed to doing business with you, to being part of your business. And at the commodity level, like dry cleaning, it's more about habit and habituation than it is emotional, psychological, philosophical commitment. 
Uh, and so once you get the first transaction, your task is now how do we make this a habit, right? In other businesses, it is about philosophical compatibility, right? And, um, and um, conversion to that. Now, that requires you knowing who you are um, and what um, uh, you are all about and uh, being clear about it and being consistent about it and matching it with an audience that that resonates with. And so there is a conversion process that you're right, Purpose Driven Church, so anybody in religion understands when you say conversion, they don't think direct response conversion, they <laughs> think this kind of conversion, and they understand the process. They understand step one, step two, step three, step four of the conversion process. And um, um, philosophies understand it. Um, we have societally right now we have large numbers of people being successfully converted to socialism. And if you go pick up the Eric Offer book and you compare that to exactly what's going on, you will see every step of the conversion process is, in fact, being used. So there has to be a villain, for example, so forth. So um, there's a renegade millionaire principle that... Um, so I say most businesses um, get a customer to make a sale. The really, really smart ones make a sale to get a customer because there's no equity in the transaction. The transaction creates income, which I call Houdini money because it disappears. Um, uh, the, the customer for life, the committed customer, uh, there's equity in that customer. So, you know, will they drive past six different Italian restaurants an extra 35 minutes to come to your restaurant? And if friends say, let's go try this, will they fight? No, let's go here, right? Well, that's the difference between a committed customer and a casual customer, yeah. right? And it is almost always going to be more about relationship than it is about deliverable in some way, shape, or form, right? Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about, uh, you say there's two things in advertising that uh, really matter or what it's really about, behavioral psych and money math. Yeah, so we talked earlier about if you will, the math of waste, for example. So if you don't really think about and understand the waste factor in what you are doing, um, and you pick media poorly because of that, or you pick message poorly because of that, um, for example, um, you may have a successful ad campaign 
that fails because of the math. If you don't have enough margin, so if your internal money math is bad, that's why almost always um, being the cheapest price provider um, turns out to be a very flawed strategy because it so handicaps you in what you can afford to do to advertise and market um, that it, it leaves you in the dust behind others who are selling at higher prices and better margins and are therefore able to do more complete, aggressive, uh, effective advertising and do a better job with the lead when they get it and do a better job with the customer when they get them. Right? If you cut it to the skinny, you wind up having to cut it to the skinny everywhere. You know, um, I will occasionally have the experience. Um, I'll show somebody, say, a, uh, a shock and awe box that a client is sending out. And the best clients um, don't care what it costs. Uh, and so the person seeing it will say, well, how much does it cost to send that out? And I'll go, I honestly don't know. The client doesn't know, and neither one of us cares. Mm-hmm. Because the value of the customer acquisition negates that question. The, the only question the client ever asks me is, what should we do that is most effective? Mm-hmm. If it should be in leather, let's get the damn thing in leather. Right? I don't care what it costs. Well, that's the, actually the position you want to be in. So this is all about financial management. This is about profit margins and price points and uh, price presentation and the relative affluence of the, of the customer, um, market conditions at the time. So this is what I mean by money math. Supply and demand. So right now, in many businesses, there's more demand than there is supply, right? Now, smart advertisers, marketers, and business owners will maybe get a little temporary harvest out of that, but they won't really use it wisely to reorganize their entire business and to put the pedal to the metal on customer acquisition and, you know, all of that. But so money math is critically important. And, um, and that's not accountant math. That's not the P&L that the accountant draws up for the bank and the IRS. That's not what we're talking about. Um, um, and it's not textbook math. It's actually money <laughs> applied with math. And most business owners, by the way, they don't even know their differential margins, right? So they got 86 products, and they don't know the differential margin in one from the other. Um, They don't know. They got 2,000 customers. They don't know the differential value and the differential margin in some versus others, right? Yep. And therefore... They make all kinds of bad money math decisions because they don't know things. 
But, and that's half of this, right? It's roughly half of the success equation is getting your math right. Um, and then the other half is behavioral psych. So advertising is all about uh, behavioral psychology. And behavioral psychology is there's not much new. <laughs> um, there's not very many secrets. Um, this includes Pavlov and um, Edward Bernays. And, you know, so like the propaganda uh, uh, kind of behavioral psych, it hadn't changed from its first use to now. There's more media, it's more sophisticated tools, but the, the psychological principles of why people do things and what motivates them to do things hasn't really changed, right? So, um, so if you think about something we've all been through recently, mask wearing, right? So how do we get everybody to wear masks? Right. There's really three psychologies that went into getting people to wear masks. One is success. Uh, a significant portion of people got successfully terrified. Right. And uh, the belief was so ingrained that it won't go away despite facts, figures, empirical evidence, logic, common sense situational differences doesn't make any difference, okay? They're scared that they will die. Well, that's pretty powerful. But fear, see, has, I mean, that's a big way to get people to move, to act, to buy, uh, to agree to things. That's yep. number one. The second... Uh, uh, psychological device applied is we made it uh, political. Uh, whether by intent or by accident, we made it a political statement. Okay? To, to the detriment of public health. Right? Because now you had a segment of people who would not wear them no matter what. Right, so you could tell that person they were they were going to be in a room with twelve people that were glowing green with the disease, and I'm not wearing a mask. Right, I'm wearing my red cap, and that's all I'm wearing. Right, and on the other side, you got people who, you know, they're going to wear the mask no matter what because yep. it's a political statement, and so. Expression of um, beliefs, expression of philosophy, is always a way to get to affect people's behavior. People wear flag pins. Why? Right to express an idea they they hold uh, dear, um, uh, etc. Et right. So. Uh, you may remember there was a clothing brand 
very popular for a decade called Members Only. And the logo was Members Only, which, of course, there was no membership, <laughs> and anybody could buy it, right? And yet tons of people bought it because the idea of exclusivity expressed, right, uh, I am in something you can't get in, is very, very powerful. The third psychology is um, uh, what is now called virtue sex signaling, right? It's because I'm wearing this, right? Uh, I am more righteous than you are. I'm a better person than you are. I'm morally superior to you, right? Um, you can literally sell lawn maintenance the same way, right? Because the person who keeps their lawn perfectly manicured has a sense compared to their neighbors who let weeds grow in it and shit and only cut it every three weeks. They feel morally superior to their neighbors. So those are three psychologies, right? Well, these are not new, right? These are like eternal, yep. right? And so... Advertising succeeds or fails, in a sense, based on picking the right ones of these to use for the situation at hand and then deploying it. And you're dealing with fundamental human emotions, right? So I I just wrote some copy for a client of mine. Um, who markets business stuff to attorneys. And, um, uh, I mean, I used a number of things, but I used guilt and shame. And I talked about how many times are you going to keep promising your spouse and your kids that as soon as I get over this hump, one more year, then we'll be able to take vacations. Then we'll be able to, how many times are you going to do that? How long are you going to do that? Because you've been doing it for a while, (laughs) and nothing's changed, right? And you may have a long-suffering spouse who isn't saying anything, but... He or she ain't happy, right? And, 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 and now that, that's powerful. It doesn't have anything to do directly with business improvement. So it's not like you should have this software system to manage your law firm better because that's not really psychologically exciting. Yep. You should get this monkey off your back of feeling bad the eight, ten times a year when your spouse says we need to talk and you do the same bullshit thing <laughs> about, you know, uh, uh, as soon as we get over this then and then you feel bad about it, right, and there's tension around for a week and then you're lucky, it blows over until you're going to have that conversation again you should fix that, right? And that's a lot more psychologically motivational than 
You should improve your business. Yep. Dan, we just talked about this briefly where, you know, we're trying to get the opportunity to develop customers. And one of the things that, you know, one of the stories you've shared for a long time is when you work with Proactive as an example, right? Got the rank group. They were willing to go negative longer than anybody else. Why is That's that? math. <laughs> money math, right? Why, why is this all so important? And um, it relates to he or she who is willing to invest the most to acquire well, will win the game. So your back-end <clears throat> math, um, your back-end systems, your ability to monetize the customers you get and the leads you get um, now determines what you can spend, <clears throat> let's say, on advertising, right? So two identical businesses, everything is identical as can be in their deliverables, can have the same ad campaign, and one judge it a success, and the other one judge it a failure. Why? One was able to spend more on it, and in many cases incur a higher negative against the first transaction than the other. So his judgment of success kind of imposed on him by all of his back-end math was first transaction had to break even. His judgment of success, based on all his back-end math, was first transaction, I can lose $300 a new customer. Same ad. Guess who's going to win and guess who's going to have a success? This guy, right? Of course. So this is investment in customers that do have long-term value. So now if your long-term value isn't there, if you're, if you're, Systems aren't there, right? The customers actually aren't that valuable to you. If you got that together, the customers are very valuable to you, right? So um, so think about something as simple as affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, one person may have a heart attack at giving away 50% of the money. Somebody else will give away 90% of the money, and somebody else will, get, will pay 120% of the sale. Now, he's got to know what he's doing, or he's headed to bankruptcy, meaning he's got to know what kind of customer he's getting from that affiliate relationship, and he's got to know what the hell to do with him when he gets them. Um, I had this conversation with a couple speakers during the nine years that I was on the big success events. Uh, Robin referenced it as the Peter Lowe event. And the thing start, the mothership started to get in financial trouble. So those of us on it had this conversation, right? And I said, uh, if need be, I'm prepared to let him keep 100% of the sale in order to keep 
the mothership afloat, right? And the other three looked at me like, you know, I had suddenly grown six heads, (laughs) you know. Are you out of your mind? Well, but I understood where they were coming from because bluntly, none of them knew what to do with a customer when they got one. So their back-end math was very poor. One better than the others, but none of them any good. My back-end math was really good. I mean, like, really good. Because I knew what the hell to do with a customer when I got one. I could have given him double the money. And it still would have been a winning deal for me. Um, And it would have crippled them. They actually couldn't do it unless they fixed, right? So who has the most power in the marketplace? The person who could spend the most money acquiring customers without going broke, right? That's simple. And again, the same ad can be a winner for one and a loser for the other, dependent on all of this. Dan, in the book, you share four uh, ad essentials. Can we go into to each one of them? The first one being news. Why do you want to have news in your, in your ad? So again, Ogilvy said, <laughs> if you don't have news to report, why advertise? Right? And so, like, there's an insurance company advertising right now. They're trying to take on Geico and State Farm and so forth. Uh, it's NJM Insurance. Nice name. Yeah, in their ad campaign. So a bunch of people stayed up nights because it matches the initials of the company. <laughs> their ad campaign is no jingles or mascots. This is their campaign. <laughs> and then they're doing funny ads. Yeah. The problem is there's no news anybody cares about there. I mean, really... If you need or want homeowner's insurance or car insurance, uh, where's the news to you in no jingles and no mascots, <laughs> right? There's some news in 15 minutes. You can say 15%. It's old news. We kind of all already know it, but at least it's news, Right? The newest news is, which I, don't, I wouldn't do until I'm compelled to do it, but is they all now have some magic device you can stick on your car that monitors all your driving and adjusts your rate based on, well, it's real news. It's not news that's appealing to me, but it's news that would be appealing to somebody, a lot of people, right? Uh, American Family Insurance, they have breaking news in their most recent advertising, which is, uh, it's anti-inflation news. It says, tree falls on your house and crushes it, and you're insured with us. We rebuild it as it was, regardless of how much the cost of materials and labor has gone up. That's news, okay? So Ogilvy's argument was, if you have no news, you wouldn't, why would you have a newscast, right? I mean, so the news people have to, well, right now they don't have to look very far, but sometimes they have to run around and try and find news because 
Yeah, well, that's why the weather reports are all sensationalized, you know. I mean, I lived in Phoenix. There was no weather. We don't have weather. It's hot. End of story, <laughs> right? So the weather forecast people had to come up with all sorts of crap because you can't come out and say that, you know. Oh, now here's the weather news. What do you got for us, Carol? Nothing. <laughs> Back to you, Bob. Right? You can't. Uh, Carol's fired, and a more creative person is found. Right? So, uh, so mostly, by the way, in Phoenix, in the winter months, they give you the weather of where you came from, or where your relatives still are, because we don't have any weather in Phoenix. So the Phoenix weather report was. Minnesota, they're up to their ass. <laughs> Snow is up to their ears, and they're freezing. So if you got a relative in Minnesota, be, of good, be of good cheer. <laughs> Call them, stick it up their ass. That was a weather report, right? So Ogilvy's argument was you should have news. You should actually have something to say. The untucked shirt is news. I think it's goofy, but I understand why some people would like it. It's news. I've designed a shirt. It's the only one designed from scratch to be worn untucked and not look like crap. Huh. Huh. That's news, right? So advertising should have news. What about the promise of a benefit? Well, so uh, advertising is about, in part, attraction and moving towards seduction, right? And so we don't move mostly just to move. We don't drop one service and switch to the other just to do it. Um, We don't switch vendors in a B2B environment just to do it. There has to be some uh, preferably compelling beneficial reason at the advertising level, why we should consider that. And then at the marketing and sales places, why we should do that, right? And now that benefit might be escape. It might be um, replacement. It might be a solution to pain or fear, or it might be gain. Um, so escaping negative circumstances is, has benefit just as getting positive circumstances, right? So, um, so preventing divorce and reigniting your sex life, one's a positive benefit argument, the other one's an escape from a negative benefit argument, Right. They're both promise of benefit. And so if you're going to do advertising for an erectile dysfunction clinic, you, you can think about those two choices and which of those uh, sandboxes you want to play in for your ad campaign, right? And some of that would depend on who you were advertising to and the media that you are in. Um, if I was going to advertise in the Wall Street Journal, I might choose the avoid divorce because everybody's got a lot of assets to lose. 
if I'm going to advertise in a local newspaper uh, in basically a blue-collar town, I'm probably going to fix your sex life kind of campaign. So, but devoid of a promise of benefit or with a promise of a very ordinary, lukewarm benefit that almost anybody can claim, um, that's, that doth not make compelling advertising. I used to do this exercise when I was doing a lot of work with chiropractors and Yellow Pages advertising of taking a Yellow Pages section and cutting the names out of all the ads and putting the ads over here and the names over here and showing you could mix them up. <laughs> Didn't make any damn difference because they were all the same. Right? Um, uh, they all basically said the same thing. They all had the same offer. Um, a lot of them had the same little drawing of the guy bending over with stars coming out of his back. I mean, they were interchangeable. <laughs> and so now at best, Charlie goes to the Yellow Pages because he fell off a ladder. You're going to get who's first and answers the phone, who's got the bigger ad, who's got a name he can pronounce. I mean, you know, you're, yep. and everybody's going to kind of get an equal share that way. Right, so where's the compelling benefit argument? Uh, advertising requires it. Dan, why don't we talk about claim of uh, comparative or competitive s- superiority? Uh, one of the great examples you share in the book is uh, a house paint. Do you want to talk about? It? It's called Rhino Shield. Yeah, it's so, an interesting and fascinating story. Yeah, so Rhino Shield's argument is <clears throat> we're not house paint. And um, and we cost more, but we're we're made out of porcelain, whatever, and shit lasts forever. So you'll never have to paint your house again, and it will always look like it was just painted last month, or we'll redo it. And it increases the value of your house when you show people you've had it painted with rhino stuff and the warranty is transferable. So they have found a way to stake out a comparative position in I got to get my house painted and make a comparative argument that at the moment at least even constitutes a unique selling proposition. Okay. What about um, the final one is a call to a specific action immediately? Well, so that's what's left out of... Most everything. Most, most advertising, right? So no brand advertising has it. Okay. And some of that is because they think it's tacky. dirty, tacky, dirty, <laughs> grimy, direct response stuff. Some of it is because they don't know what the hell they're doing. Some of it is because the executives and or the agency don't want accountability. So, like, there's TV ads running right now about participating in Facebook groups. There's four TV ads for four different Facebook groups you might want to be a part of, right? None of them, incidentally, have anything to do with anything that might be productive in life. 
um, the worst of them shows us a sad, depressed, dysfunctional 20-year-old girl who goes to the uh, Facebook group of 20-year-olds who can't figure out adulting. That's what the group is called. (laughs) And she goes, so there is such a group. And she goes and she says, "Um, I'm lost, can you help me? And then it shows, I think, three different members of the group, two of them giving her some cliched piece of advice Um, do your passion, get out there. The third one is a charming-looking fellow. He's got, like, Mike Tyson tattoos, and (laughs) there's butterflies flying around his head, and and, uh, he says it's okay to be lost. (laughs) So this is really sort of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where everybody drinks and tells you it's okay. (laughs) That's what this is. So we can understand why it's popular, right? (laughs) This is like Planet Fitness, you know, the no judgment zone. You know, come in, bring your donut. I mean, you know, nobody will say a word. I mean, so, uh, and then the thing ends with kind of a happy ending of she has now gotten up, she's actually put on clothes, and she's left her apartment or parents' basement, wherever she is, and she's at an exercise class, and she's smiling. So this is the end. So there's no call to action. It's implied, right? If you're 20 and you can't get your shit together and you're depressed, here's a Facebook group you can join. But there's no join now, like before you kill yourself, or join now because tomorrow there's a special workshop for everybody in the group with Susan Hoosis, who is the expert on adulting for people who can't adult. There's no uh, come in the next, log on within the next 24 hours and get a free Starbucks gift card. Okay, there's no do this and do it now. Now, the problem with that, right, as the advertiser, is twofold. People tend to do things only if they're specifically, clearly, and emphatically told to do them. Mm -hmm. Asking people to connect dots on their own all the way to action, lots of luck especially if you're trying to attract 20-year-olds who can't get up off the floor and adult, (laughs) right? Like, a burst of initiative is not in the cards here, right? So it's antithetical, again, to human psychology. Secondly, you don't know if the ad's doing anything. There isn't even, like, a promo code. It's not like go to the Facebook groups forward slash not lost. Yep. Right? There's not even that. So there's no tracking whatsoever. And they're spending, by the way, a lot of money. I mean, this ad's running enough, I've memorized it. <laughs> Unhappily. Um, so 
that's CTAs, call to actions, which again, those of us who are from the direct response side of advertising, this is our norm. Often the call to action is figured out first. And then the rest of it is engineered to drive the CTA, right? And, um, and people that come from direct sales, which is direct response done person to person, that's the norm there too. The direct salesperson, he doesn't really have to be taught this. He knows if he doesn't ask for the order, he tends not to get the order. If he doesn't know it, he figures it out or he starves one or the other, right? And, and, and so, but in regular advertising, this is not the norm. Now, somewhere there's people at Facebook who understand this, but they are not being allowed to get anywhere near this steering wheel. And Now, is Facebook running these ads or is this? Facebook's running these ads. Yeah, because they want to get you to come to join a group because that's stickier than just using Facebook, right? So if you'll join the group, the adulting group, or the, <laughs> I forget what the other three are, but they've got four that they're really pushing. Yep. Okay. And they got thousands of them, um, like Amazon bestseller lists now. <laughs> um, uh, and they know if they can get you to join a group, right, that's stickier than just using their platform. And by the way, the ad is smart. I'm not taking anything away from the ad except that there's no way for anybody to know whether it's working. Yep. Right? And, and of course, it doesn't. Not only doesn't it have a clear call to action, it doesn't then have tracking. And it doesn't have, we talked about earlier, it certainly has no lead generation. So it is not capturing people to then get a 16-step series of emails about yep. why you haven't shown up at the at the group meeting on Tuesday, you know, I mean, that's not, well, that's, that's was, not happening. There was an ad running last night for, I, I don't know if you've seen them, the, the massaging guns that you yeah. use. And they built that brand and that company off of Facebook ads, digital, using direct response, call to action. They had testimonials and all of it. Well, last night, for the first time I saw, they had an ad on real TV. I think it was on Fox. Just showing people with the gun one guy and then he's going around his bathroom and his gym and a few other places there's no language on the thing it gets to the end and it throws up the logo not no way to go buy the thing no benefits to the thing no lead generation with the thing no call to action this happens all the time this is the you the the tacky direct response people got this X far and now the professionals shall descend and do it right. So this happens all the time and it is to be watched out for in your own businesses and in your own companies and if you are an investor, like if that was a public company and you own stock in it, the first thing you should have done this morning is sold it. Yep. Okay? Because they are about to ruin it. All right? Halbert used to tell a story. I knew the company. It has often happened 
um, they came to me some months after they and Halbert parted, um, and I refused them. They were a big uh, weight loss company. And Halbert had done the full-page newspaper ad that took the business from, like, nothing. I mean nothing. To, I think they did, I think they were doing $20 million a month, give or take. When they called him in and broke the bad news to him. We really appreciate everything you've done. The four versions of this ad have got us this far. But now we are maturing as a company. And we need to become more professional. So we'd like you to remake the ads and take out, you know, these dumb testimonials and the picture of the giant fat woman who now is in a bikini and she's got a waist this big around. And we'd like you to take out the three-part guarantee and put the logo in. And Of course, Halbert told them where to stop the ad and marched <laughs> out of the room. And he was, I mean, he was making a lot of money on royalties, which, of course, they were going to destroy no matter what he did, so I don't blame him, but and about seven months later, they were back down to $2 million a month. Um, and that's when they called me, and uh, I said, no thanks, because you're going to do it again. You're that dumb. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it happens all the time. Um, and it's um, it, it, it can be triggered by as little as the mother-in-law, you know, comment about how tacky the advertising is. I mean, a a lot of people are very weak. Anybody who coaches them, right, so Marty with music school owners, for example, a lot of these people, even after someone like us has helped them substantially. They have no no spine. It it doesn't take much um, to to make them abandon what they are now being criticized for as tiki-taki, embarrassing, you know, et cetera. Dan, why don't we talk about... uh the three conversations that uh, you have to master if you want to get um, maximum results from from your advertising. First one you talk about is the kitchen the kitchen uh, table at dinner conversation. Yeah, so it's it's more important when you get into the the full blown marketing than it is at the advertising stage. Sometimes it applies to the advertising. Sometimes it doesn't much. But even as a underlying understanding of the people you are advertising to, these things are important. And in some cases, they are the basis for the ad. Um, And so um, if you have intimate knowledge of the psyche Um, of your intended prospect, 
your intended audience. Um, and you can play that as your cards. Um, you are much better off than if you don't. Um, and surprisingly, a lot of business owners don't even know their own customers in this way. Um, they either know them statistically, uh, demographically, uh, so they can tell you, are they married, are they not married, do they have kids, do they not have kids, they, but they can't tell you uh, what they think, what they believe, what they fear, uh, what they're angry about, what they're, right, and that's where all your leverage is. Again, this is behavioral psych. This is not features and benefits and, you know, all that is kind of the ante to get in the game, but this is behavioral psych. So one way to think about this is the conversations, is can you do the conversation your prospect has with himself, with spouse, whatever, and one is the uh, kitchen table in the dead of night. So when husband or wife, doesn't matter, uh, wakes in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep, quietly sneaks downstairs to the kitchen, turns on tiny little lights somewhere, um, gets a snack out of the refrigerator, and sits there sort of woe is me Um The spouse now determines they're missing and goes down to see what's wrong and a conversation ensues. Sometimes it's like the first honest conversation that's happened in the marriage in, you know, months. Can you do that conversation about your customer? Can you write it as a script that could be performed on Broadway and it be authentic? And if you can... So, like, this is why Zig, as a platform salesperson, which is human advertising, right, it's one step, right, Zig was so effective with audiences of direct sales people, which is where he was early. Uh, the guys that sold pots and pans and encyclopedias and fire alarms and vacuum cleaners and low-end insurance and burial insurance. and He was so effective with them because he had lived it himself and struggled. He was not particularly successful at it. And so he knew three months in, six months in, nine months in, what these struggling salespeople with great aspirations and uh, Cadillacs and mink coats in their eyes and confusion about why they weren't making it happen. He knew what that conversation was to a word, right? And that's a very, very powerful thing. And huge numbers of people are operating without it. And of course, the freelance advertising people, if you step into somebody else's situation, 
you either have to get this from them, and you can kind of quickly determine whether they actually know it or they don't know it. And then, if not, you have to go get it somewhere else. You have to go hang out where the customers are. You've got to, because operating without this is very difficult. Dan, before we close today, can we just uh, maybe go over the couple of hurdles that our advertisements have to get over uh, to make sure they have a chance, let alone become a <clears throat> effective? The first one being disinterest. Yeah, so, um, you know, there's the old attention, interest, desire, action formula. Um, often, advertisers are um, advertising to disinterested people. And then they wonder, right, why their advertising is failing. Some of that happens because they're very product-centric. So, you know, they're in the spa business. They're going to advertise spas, right? Um, um, they're not really tuned to figuring out the three main reasons why people get a spa and then advertising about that area of interest, right? Um, there. So, so, so like, in all of politics, right, the thing that is most bipartisan that everybody cares about is inflation. Really? Because it reaches everybody's door. Crime waves don't necessarily. They stay isolated in one part of the city and so forth. Afghanistan's a long ways away, et cetera, et cetera. But inflation, kind of everybody gets it. Uh, break point's right around five bucks a gallon for gas, and everybody goes nuts. All right. There's an episode of So Mar- about a week away. Yeah, a month. <laughs> so there's an episode of Married with Children. Uh, which is a very instructive TV series in many ways. Um, uh, I doubt you could get it greenlit to even make it. Uh, But there's an episode of Married with Children where the hapless Al Bundy, who can never succeed in anything, organizes a massive political revolt. uh, And he gets the Chicago City Council all right on the edge of recall. And they capitulate and they withdraw the new tax they put in place on beer. And there's a scene with Al standing on a box, preaching to the crowd and saying, we'll let them do just about anything to us, but we won't let them tax our beer. (laughs) And that's sort of Tip O'Neill's version of all politics is local, right? And so... People are not that complicated, right? We like to think we are, but that's it. You tax their beer. Um, you triple the price of turkeys right before Thanksgiving, and you raise the price of gas so I can't go anywhere, and you're going to have trouble, right? So you really got to hone in on what interests people 
the Robert Collier principle of advertising is under the conversation already occurring in their mind. What are they already talking about, right? So like right now, they're talking about inflation more than they're talking about anything else, right? So I would look at my advertising and I would think, hmm, what can I do to have an anti-inflation message, right? If I'm in the turkey business, I'm saying, you better come buy your turkey this Friday because next Friday it's going to cost you 30% more and there's nothing I can do about it. So I hope you got a freezer. Find a neighbor that's got a freezer. Buy your turkeys now, right? Sell all your turkeys and then go to the Bahamas for the rest of the year and enjoy yourself. So oftentimes... We're advertising essentially what interests us. We're in love with our product. We think our service is fascinating. Um, We want to make money. Uh, We want our business to be more. But we're not advertising what really interests people, right? And, And... Sometimes that's because we have opinions about what should interest people, not what does interest people. So disinterest, that doesn't matter how eloquent you are, right? It really doesn't matter um, uh, how well organized your entire business is. If you don't succeed at interesting people, right, in, in... in what you have to say, uh, you're in trouble, right? Um, in advertising, the the headline space is all about establishing interest, right? Direct salespeople learn it as a prospecting thing when they're in short pants. If I could show you fill in the blank, right? Uh, would you give me 15 minutes to explain it? The guy goes, yeah, if what you said interested him, right? I mean, Herbalife, right, created their biggest surge in business with a pin that said, uh, lose weight, ask me how. Well, so statistically, two-thirds of America is either on a diet, giving up on a diet, uh, or starting a new diet every day, <laughs> right? So everybody's, two-thirds of the population is interested in losing weight. Not necessarily enough to do anything sane about it, but it, it's, it's in their top ten conversations, right? It's already on their minds, Now, some of that seasonal goes up and down, it's situational, but by and large, two-thirds of the population is interested in losing weight. If you stick enough of those pins on enough people, somebody will turn around to that person while they're standing in line and go, okay, tell me how, right? They'll tell a story. I've been on every diet known to man. None of them work. Tell me how yours, right? Yep. And so, this ain't that hard, right? What? Interest people. So people that own dogs, they really love dogs. What interests them? Keeping a dog alive as long as they can, 
longevity interests them, right? Quality of life for the dog, but less so, right? If the, the younger dog, the dog being obedient, right? the, that's what interests people to have a dog. Right? So if you're going to sell dog food, sell longevity. How would you like your dog to live twice as long as its life expectancy and still act like a puppy? Ask me how. Dog owner goes, okay, how? Right? Now they're interested. Yep. Show them dog food. They already got dog food. And the dog will eat just about anything. Right? I mean, so that's not all that interesting. Dan, this has been terrific. We're going to leave the rest for inside the book. want to thank you for your time today. It's been a terrific program. We hope you enjoyed this at home, and we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Thanks, Darren. Thank you all. You've been listening to one of our gold members-only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a Diamond member and get access to the Diamond members-only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.